You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole coming at you from the uh, the just beautiful, just gorgeous landscape of Mustafar. We are sitting fireside because everywhere is fireside here. And we are going to be talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi and I am so excited for that. And with me, as she is oh, every single week, uh, is the one, the only Inquisitor S person, Christy Morris. I don't even get a number. Uh, where? How about we call you the first sister? We've never met the first sister. Yeah. Th- okay. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. There we go. First yeah, sister Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. And the one and only we just call him Darth John Mills. Yes, I'm here. There yes. You go. Yes. yes, you are. I'm here. And I mean Darth. It's just a really appropriate name for you i guess so i guess so we're both bald so that seems (laughs) to be a requirement for darth this is true although i don't i mean yours didn't come from an intense burning on a lava planet luckily uh no a strange uh uh strange encounter with nair i guess is probably what happened (laughs) so and it just stayed that way forever. Um, Nair does burn, well, though, just in yeah. case anybody was wondering. That's <laughs> what I've heard. It's a chemical I've never burn. tried it, <laughs> but... Um, it sucks. I, yeah. Okay. Sucks. Good to know. Well, uh, <laughs> Not worth you've it. learned something, kids. Don't use Nair uh, <laughs> on your head. And if you do, expect burning. So, um, But before we yeah. dive into Obi-Wan Kenobi there on Disney+, Plus, uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We definitely appreciate you following us, subscribing to us telling your friends about us, giving star ratings and reviews where possible, say on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or other places like that that allow you to give reviews. We'd love to have you follow us over on social media at The 602 Club on Twitter. We're on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. We're on Facebook with the entire network over at facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can also find us online at trek.fm. And there's the listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference you can join. And, of course, we've got the website, trek.fm, where you can see all the shows that we're doing here on the network. We'd also appreciate it if you went over to Patreon, patreon.com slash trek.fm, and you can become part of the team. It is quite expensive to put all this together, and we need help from listeners just like you to make sure that keeps happening. So, again, that's Patreon dot com slash track f m so i know both of you are very aware of the fact that um when disney first bought lucasfilm one of the biggest things that people clamored for was the idea of a kenobi movie and we had heard rumors that they were going to be doing a movie in fact not only would we be getting you know we knew we were going to get solo because that was announced a star wars story we were going to have boba fett a star wars story uh and we had rogue one a star wars story uh we had uh, we and we thought we were going to get kenobi uh as a star wars story movie and it didn't turn out like that. We we didn't get a film. Uh, and I'm not blaming Solo for that because it wasn't really Solo's fault. I think it's more Disney's mm-hmm. fault. Um, and 
uh, with their mismanagement of everything revolving around Solo. So they turned to the idea of doing Kenobi as a limited miniseries. Uh, we'll talk later about whether or not we'll get more. That's not the point of this section. What I really want to ask you, both as we get into this, are you glad that this turned out to be a show and not a movie? Do you feel like that it was a better course for them to do this as a show? Would you still have maybe rather have them seen, uh, you know, two and a half, three hour Kenobi movie? Hindsight is twenty twenty, um, And that's the thing is I can say now that, yeah, I probably would have preferred a two, two and a half hour movie, even if it was released straight to Disney+. Plus. Um, I, I didn't have a problem with the idea of it being a show. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I don't object to anything being a show. If you've got the material and you got the resources, go for it. Streaming as we all believe is the future. So of course it makes sense to make a show, but you know, when I, I would say I would have expected a movie or a special movie event. And I would have also, you know, I, you know, if you put me in a time machine and I do all of the other stuff that you're supposed to do with a time machine and I got one more trip left, I'd probably be like, hey, yeah, Kenobi should be a movie. So uh, I feel a little bit differently just because, um, of course, back before we knew it was going to be a series, I would have absolutely said, yes, I'd love for it to be a movie. Um, I think now that we've seen this show in its entirety, it actually felt to me sort of like we got a movie because the episodes were so long and you get to explore a little bit more um, than you do in one condensed two hour movie. Um, I felt so I ended up liking it better being a limited series um, instead of a film, but definitely glad either way that we got this gap um, explained more between, um, you know, Kenobi's time in the desert mm -hmm. to then when we meet Alec Guinness's version. I think I'm going to cut the difference between the two of you and say that I, I think that I wish that what we got were just longer episodes. Um, so maybe it was like three, two hour episodes. Mm -hmm. and the Sherlock so that, approach. Sure. Yes, Exactly. Or I would say more akin to, Christy, we just talked about uh, Stranger Things, the the first part of the final season where each episode is longer. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, um, and, you know, we talked about this, John, when we talked about the Book of Boba Fett, how some of these stories in many ways really feel uh, like the episodes would be better actually together um, just because they kind of create, okay, the first arc of the story, the second arc, and then the third arc. And, you know, I, and I kind of felt like that because, you know, they released the first two episodes together with Kenobi, which I thought was a great choice because those two episodes created kind of like act one. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that if you had possibly maybe approached them more like that of act one, act two, act three, like just a massive film that then the editing in the episodes themselves would have been slightly different. 
um, and maybe would have enhanced the storyline uh, in a way that I kind of think what you're kind of getting at, John, where it, it like I don't feel like there were really any episodes in in the story, which I felt were superfluous, like just didn't need to be there at all. But I did feel like that by cutting them into smaller episodes, it actually didn't work quite as well as I would have wanted it to. And again, when you approach something as like a two-hour thing, your editing is different than when you're just approaching it as two, you know, 50-minute things. Um, and I, I, I think that's where I can see how with all the pieces we got, not asking him to rewrite anything or anything like that, I just, to my, to my thought, I think the series would have been even better in that format. Well, and I think that is what I'm getting at in, in a sense is a two. when you sit down and you say, I'm going to make a two to two and a half hour movie, it forces you to be brutally efficient with your storytelling. Right. And I right. think that is that is one of the challenges that revealed itself as the series went on was that they weren't, to my eye, brutal enough with their choices mm-hmm. in terms of, sure. okay, we got the point, let's keep moving and let's tell what's most important. And then I think by cutting it down like that, they would have exposed certain parts where they would have said, oh, you know what? We need a bridge scene here. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons right. why yep. I enjoy the prequels so much is Lucas, he's you know the firm believer that you put it together in the editing room and he would put stuff together and say, oh, you know what? We need a scene right there. Okay, let's write that off really quick. Let's bring everybody back, shoot them against blue screen. Great. We got our scene now where the, these two characters are interacting because and that creates our bridge. And so mm-hmm. I and the the thing that is surprising to me for that is that I would think that a streaming property would lend itself to that uh, ability to do that to sort of play with it as you go along uh, mm-hmm. sort of thing and give you sure. it, you know because you're shooting digitally and you're putting the show together you could get a really good sense mm-hmm. of like oh you know what we need to shore it up a little bit over here. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know and going back yeah. to Book of Boba Fett, same sort of puzzling sort of situation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, and and I will say one of the things that I felt like is that they kind of learned from the Book of Boba Fett in some ways because this this series did feel, I think, more cohesive as an entire story thread than what we got in the Book of Boba Fett for sure. And and in general, I'll I'll, I'll let it slide here. I like the show better than the book of Boba Fett. And just because I, I feel like a lot more of that worked. Um, but I still feel like there, Christy, you and I talked about stranger things, right? And we mentioned how we felt like that show is probably the best show in streaming when it comes to creating art television and Mm -hmm. that they really put their stamp with that. I think the first season was like that. Specifically, in this fourth season, at least part one, absolutely felt like that. I still feel like a lot of shows are struggling to understand how to create these shows in the sense of like, okay, we have unlimited amount of time for every episode we want, um, but what's the best format to tell that in? And so I feel like sometimes shows get stuck in the idea, oh, we have to have just however many like six to nine 45 minute episodes instead of thinking truly outside of the box, which is like, okay, what does this story need? 
you know, right. and we just do it like that because it doesn't matter. It's streaming. So, um, which leads me to a question for both of you, because one of the things that this show got rewritten and one of the reasons it was rewritten is because they got the scripts and they felt like the story was way too similar to the Mandalorian in the sense that Kenobi is protecting this young Skywalker from various threats. And it just felt very small. They felt like, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't as grand as they kind of wanted. Um, and, with those concerns, Favreau and Filoni looked at the scripts and they felt like the same thing too. And they just encouraged Deborah Chow and the writers to just go bigger, which is where I think one of the big places we got that was by them bringing in Vader and really making this show feel much more big. I mean, for lack of a better term. So I want to ask you guys about how do you feel like that was a better choice too for them to stop think and then go bigger or go home yeah i i do honestly because now hearing that that's where they were originally going with it initially i think of that as probably the way that a fan would tell it um of you know this is where we know kenobi and luke are at this point in the timeline and that's sort of the immediate place that you would go to start but I definitely think um, that it was better going this route and having more connective issue, um, connective tissue to things like Rebels and Clone Wars and the prequels especially um, makes it much more vital to the rest of the stories that they're telling with other series. I mean, now this has connections to The Mandalorian because of Bo, you know, because Kenobi in this series alludes to Satine. He doesn't mention her by name, but he definitely brings her up to where someone who's a fan of Clone Wars would know that's exactly who he's talking about. So, yeah. And, and apparently it was Filoni that recommended adding Vader and revisiting Anakin and Kenobi um, rematching. Yeah, I don't think this series works without Vader, in all honesty. Uh, the Vader interactions were the high point, undeniably. I think that in that rewrite process, though, is that there is a small sense of a lack of commitment. So what it what I mean by that is, is if you're going to go big, then I would be curious to know what vestiges specifically of the original scripts remained because there were parts of this that still felt like small ball that led to the bigger game as opposed to stuff that meshed organically. It, it felt a little bit, there was, there was definitely some, strangely enough, instead of protagonist confusion, antagonist confusion, and some there, there were some motivations that I think got a little mixed up in the rewrite process. And I think that worked to the detriment of the show overall. Um, not to the point where I didn't like it, but to the point where I was like, ah, oh, you know, we could have done without this and gotten to this point quicker. And so I would be curious to know, like, how much of like, was it a page one rewrite or was it a, hey, this is good, but let's extend it. Let's tack this stuff onto it, because with that sort of meta knowledge of the series, it feels a little bit like that's the approach they took where they were like, oh, no, we don't dislike what's here, but we're going to add stuff on. And it's like. I think it 
it would have benefited mostly from, from yeah. just like that page one, burn it to the ground and rebuild it sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, from what I have read, from what I've, you know, just from articles and everything like that, it does seem like it wasn't complete page one, but it was close. There's stuff that comes through. Um, but I mean, originally the script had different villains and, you know, um, there are just a lot of things that didn't quite, I, I don't think, again, that just felt small ball. Um, but I can actually see what you're saying, John, because I do think there there is some of that when we talk about those antagonists, Vader and the Inquisitors and all that. And it's not quite as clean as it could have been. Um, and I think, again, when it, that's a writing process thing. Um, I do think them going bigger is much, uh, you know, closer to what we want as fans in the first place. Um, I think, um, you know, the fact that for Kenobi, and I've got to give credit to uh, Kennedy and, and Chow, who both said that the strongest connections between this series had nothing to do with something like The Mandalorian or any of its spinoff series, that this is, we're connecting to the prequels. We're connecting to the Clone Wars. We're connecting to Rebels. That's our closest connection points. And so we want to make sure that we're utilizing that material, which, you know, I think is one of the things in which this show benefits from those things and those connections. So I'm glad they decided to do that. I think you're absolutely right, John. If they had not done Maul in Rebels, I think that's the only other thing that you could have done that would have made sense. Besides Darth Vader, but they already did that. And so that's, you don't need, you can't touch that. And and so, but I I still, I I think just to come back to your point, I think Vader is the thing that makes this work because the storyline we're here, we're telling here is we're starting with Ben. Yeah. This is, this is how Kenobi gets his groove back. And... That's the why of this show. You know, um, John, you and I did an aggressive negotiations where we talked about Kenobi and how broken he is from his past, the failures he he thinks that rest solely on his shoulders, and dealing with the fallout of everything he's lost. And, you know, I, I think starting with that and then having the end point being okay, basically how can we end with this guy being the person who would become what we see in episode four, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and to tell that story and, and for that being the why and doing that for Kenobi, I think that's fantastic because I think that's this, that story is really well told in this show. Right. And I mean, that's the thing that really should have been focused on more than, you know, I feel like, if they had gone the route of it being mostly him protecting Luke already, I think that's kind of skipping ahead of where you want to be in this show. And then also, it, like they said, it's then too similar to the Lone Wolf and Cub they were already doing with Mandalorian, and they needed to do something a lot more grandiose. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, just to double back to the mall thing, I think that that would have been disastrous for the uh, general audience. It's hard enough explaining to people 
why Maul is there in Solo if they haven't watched Clone Wars. I actually had that conversation during Solo where somebody said, so wait a minute, this is before Phantom Menace? And I was like, no, 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 no. And, and that's the thing is we have to keep in mind that those sorts of things are not easily accessible for the general audience. And they're trying to make this show for everybody. And the thing mm-hmm. is, I got a fair number of notes from people at work and in other parts of my life where there were aspects of this that they were trying to plug into where it was a little bit more of a challenge for them. And I think that in that rewrite process, I don't know if they paid close enough an eye to bringing everybody up to speed. For us, really easy to jump in and know exactly what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. For Think of how it is for a lot of people who have never heard of an Inquisitor who tune into this mm-hmm. show. It's sure. like, wait, yeah. what? Right. You know, and that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means it's, you know, honestly, did they take that into account for everybody? And did they take it into account for everybody about... Um, I mean, you know, for us, we see the Grand Inquisitor get stabbed and we're like, what? And for most people, the note I got back for that was, oh, he just seems kind of dumb. I actually got that note from somebody where they were like, how did he not see that one coming? And I was like, okay, you know, it's just the way things work sometimes and all of that. But, you know, and I know I've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I think that there is an aspect possibly that they have, uh, you know, that they overcomplicated it. A little bit so mm-hmm. well uh, i i want to speak to that because i think you are on to something in the sense that um you can easily fix that by creating a crawl at the beginning of the first episode you know we we had the the lead in where you kind of did the visual montage of the kenobi Anakin story mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I think you can just as easily do that with a crawl because Star Wars already does this right and and you can explain just like you would in, in one of the you know episodes one through nine what's going on you know hey here's the lay of the land you know Vader you know searches the galaxy with his group of inquisitors trained in the dark side of the force looking for, you know, uh, surviving Jedi. I mean, it's, it's so easy to make this happen, um, without any time being, I mean, 30 second crawl, you, you, you fixed every problem that you just mentioned, John, that brings people up to speed and helps them feel like, okay, I got it. I don't have to have seen everything, but I know exactly where I am now in this story. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, and it's, I know it seems like a real nitpick, but it, it's all, it all springs from, you know, I'm sure. the guy in the office that everybody comes to because I'm the Star yeah. Wars yeah. guy. Right. And it's like, after every single episode, people would come to my office and they would say, okay, so, and I was like, okay, well, all right, that's a half hour that I'm going to lose, but sure, sure, sure. Let me try to. Mm-hmm you know, yep. alleviate and or show you that I'm a reasonable man and it's there okay. You I You don't have to love everything. It's, it's all right. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, for you guys, uh, you know, getting back to Ben and uh, John, don't feel bad. I think that was a fantastic point to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I would say honestly, 
I think Christy and I have probably said it too when we've talked about some of the Marvel shows where you just like, we talked about it specifically with Moon Knight. So anyway, that's a whole other podcast that we did. You can check that episode out. Um, so how do you guys, uh, we, we do start off this show with Ben Kenobi completely broken and like a changed man, like absolutely the exact opposite of everything he used to be. And how do you feel? How did you feel with that? Did that work for you? Did you feel like they had earned that moment and and that we were in then a good starting place for the arc we want to take this character on? Yeah, I did. I, I, I think that a big part of it especially goes to Ewan McGregor's portrayal. Um, I think definitely it was the smartest choice in the world having him back, of course. Um, and he had said that he was interested in it before they were even working on this. Um and then I really would be interested, too, in watching Revenge of the Sith and then immediately starting this to see how it feels so close together. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that he does such a great job of showing that Ben has been through unimaginable things all at once and is now just trying to figure out his place in the world um, where, you know, he was he had a a mission before he was one of all of these Jedi and knew exactly what he was responsible for. And now it's like, he is completely lost. He has no one similar to him anymore to turn to. He feels that he's failed his star pupil and he is now tasked with protecting Luke. And now especially is seeming to not be able to use the force. So, yeah, I think he does the best job showing that he's broken. Um, and then he's got to figure out where to go from here. Yeah, broken Obi-Wan is what I showed up for. Like, yeah. I, I got to see this guy put his life back together. It, it's not interesting if he doesn't. I, honestly, it, it's and it, and it goes back, and I think I've used this example before, but, um, you know, talk about other stuff or whatever. But uh, old dear friend of mine, Joey, uh, one of the big fights we had, <laughs> stupid as it is, was about Star Trek Six, because in that movie, you know, in in Star Trek Six, it starts off. Kirk hates Klingons, like it's pathological. Mm -hmm. He despises them, and he's willing to let them all die because he hates them so much. But then by the end of the movie, spoilers, even though it's been out for thirty years, he says, <laughs> "Hey, no, you know, the future can be scary. Let's everybody." You know, let's be cool. Let's 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 work it out. Right. And Joey hated that the hero was in this dark place in the beginning. And I and I remember back then saying, where's he going to go if he doesn't start there? You have to start with your mm -hmm. hero. He has to go on a journey to become the hero. And Obi-Wan never really got a hero's journey, per se. So in this one, he gets his hero's journey. And this is his episode three. But his episode three ends better than Anakin's episode three. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I showed up for. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're both absolutely right. Uh, and Christy, obviously, uh, you can't do this show without Ewan McGregor. And he's the main mm -hmm. reason we're doing this uh, because everybody wants to see him. And he's phenomenal in the in the series. But I, I think the weakness that he portrays the the brokenness the i mean he just feels completely shattered mm -hmm. there's nothing left there is not even really a spark of hope you know john you and i talked about that in that episode we did about uh on aggressive negotiations 
And all he's holding on to is the very last mission he has. Um, and he's being driven by by fear and remorse and guilt and all of the things that Jedi are supposed to be able to find a way to let go of so that they can focus on the here and now. Mm-hmm. But Obi-Wan lives in the past. And, you know, there's that wonderful moment where Tala says to him, you know, some things you can't forget, but you can fight to make them better. And Obi-Wan, at that point, at the beginning of the show, has he's he's lost that, you know. Um, and so I love it for exactly all the reasons that you guys said. So, and I think, too, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like they found basically the only reason that you could call Obi-Wan to arms. The only reason that he would leave Tatooine would be Leia. Do you guys agree with that? Do you feel like they found the right key to uh, unlock that story of him leaving that mission? Or do you feel like maybe there was something else? Or how did it work for y'all? No, I think it's the only thing you could have used just from a practical standpoint, because if you have Luke get kidnapped and taken off of Tatooine and somebody knows who he is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that creates a whole bunch of story problems. But Leia's a member of the royal family. That makes perfect sense. And it actually makes your villain seem a little bit more intelligent because she's not going after her because of a perceived connection to Anakin, but because this family knows Kenobi. If we do something to them, then most likely Kenobi shows up. That mm-hmm. makes sense. And so I think from just from a practical storytelling standpoint, it's the only choice they really had Unless they were going to have something like Yoda call him up on the spirit phone and be like, you know, come to Dagobah, you must. And then like he goes <laughs> off there or something. The spirit phone. You know. <laughs> the spirits in the sky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yoda shows but, up yeah. in the clouds like like um, Mufasa. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. Remember. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That was good. But yeah, I I agree. I think that it was also something, the only thing that would have motivated him because it was also a child and then because it was that child. Um, I think that at this point in his story, otherwise he wouldn't have been um, propelled enough to to leave and do something about it otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that I... I did love about the show um, is that I felt like it was ingenious in the way it decided to um, tell the story. And and that was, okay, if we want to do this, if we're going to, if we're going to drag Kenobi off of Tatooine, there is really only one way to do that. And I think they absolutely found the right story element. And I, I think, the beauty of that is where we not only have we left Kenobi in a place where he's shattered, but like Christy, you mentioned earlier, he's he's not connecting with the force, mostly out of fear, I think, because he's so worried about something bad happening to Luke that he's not even really willing to to, to do the training he's been given by Yoda um, to really put his heart and soul into that. He's not ready for it either, um, which, you know, we'll get to in a little bit, uh, but I think by putting him back in action, it's the same, like, John, you rightly called it out. This is Obi-Wan's hero's journey. 
And it's that same thing that Luke needed, right? He needed to be thrown into the fire and refined. And for for Obi-Wan to find the Force again, I think I love the way the action of, of Episode 3 um, gave him that point where, I think it's Episode 4. Yeah, it's Episode 4, um, where they go to rescue Leia. On the Inquisitors, oh, yeah. um, and but the action of that episode in in the Inquisitors' uh, fortress, Obi Wan has to start doing instead of thinking, and he, all he's done for ten years is spent stewing and thinking and stewing and thinking, and it has left him powerless. And instead, what just like Luke being thrown into the the needing to practice against a remote you do you don't think stretch out with your feelings it was a really perfect way to show that do or do not there is no try and honestly obi-wan hasn't even really been trying (laughs) and that's for a lot of reasons obviously but i appreciated that to connect him back to who he was was to put him back on the mission that he's kind of neglected, which mm-hmm. is that being a Jedi really never stops. Even if you don't get to be overt, that internal needs to change for him. And I really appreciated that like he just had to do. And as he did, that connection with the living force comes back. And I thought that that was fantastic to actually... And it wasn't like they were telling us. We're just watching it happen. And if there's anything I love, it's like, show, don't tell. Yep. And we just showed. We showed a broken Kenobi who's disconnected from the Force. And what brings him back is is just having to do it. And I thought it was great. Yes, I agree with you in principle that it was great. Uh, I don't necessarily agree in execution. Because, uh, you know, since we're talking specifically about, you know, that that split between the third episode and the fourth episode, the fourth episode is where I think some of the structural problems started. The, the weight of the show started pulling it, pulling it down. Like it, it got to be a little bit too much for the foundation. And it's it's really the point where I, I know exactly what you're saying. And I think it's just absolutely unfortunate that that got nested within what I think I I don't think I'm alone in this. I think this is a consensus in the weakest episode of the entire series where it was very quick. It was very, there were, there were different problems with the way things happened that detracted even more from it. And so just that specific point winds up becoming a point of frustration for me because of the fact that it's, you take this great thing that you're talking about and you put it in the middle of something that just as a whole piece, you know, one sixth of the series didn't work well. And I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm with you as well, John, on how that episode felt and kind of then how things were affected in the episodes after. Um, I do think that as an idea, it's a great thing. Um, I just wish that that had been done a little better. Um, I guess I kind of defend it a little because I think of the other times that Obi-Wan is 
reintegrating the force into his life, like the scene where Leia is jumping from rooftop to rooftop and falls and he has to use the force without thinking to rescue her. Um, that kind of forgives for me some of the way that episode four went with mm-hmm. him using the force. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, John, we've talked quite extensively behind the scenes, uh, as we always do. Um, but about some of the issues that we have with the show, we'll talk about them a little bit later, specifically, you know, with the way that the editing works in the show. Um, and, I get, I, and I totally see what you're saying. I just think story-wise, what they're doing there is is smart. Like that's what you want to see happen. Is the execution perfect? It's not. Um, but I I think just thinking specifically about the storyline, I really love that. And you know, I love that this show is basically Obi Wan going from Ben to Obi Wan again, like. He has become Ben, which is this defeated, purposeless, almost just surviving type of person. And by the end of the series, he's found his strength, his purpose, his connection, his hope again. Um, And part of that I really loved. And again, this was, I think, I wish it was stronger. I think the moment should have been played out longer. But when Obi-Wan is under the rocks... And what is it that gives him hope? It's remembering Luke and Leia and what they represent and all of that. And to me, I love that because it gives him to overcome the the despair and the darkness that he's basically been in for 10 years. Um, And it's not executed perfectly, but it's the right idea. Story-wise, it's beautiful and... So I I love that. And part of that too is by him not forgetting but letting go and fighting to make things better. And I really appreciate that moment. Um and I just appreciate then what it does for the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi who is the reason we're all here in this show in the first place. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and that's the thing, right? Is it could easily devolve, but like you calling that scene specifically up, I think that this show asks too much of longtime fans, of casual fans too, because this is another thing, you know, these sorts of scenes come up in the conversations with the, you know, the people who aren't the hardcores and everything like that, where I do have to really harp on the execution of these things. It's it's not fair to an audience member to say, hey, you know what we're going for, so let's forgive some of this over here. That's inevitable. That happens with anything you watch. I know this. I accept it. It's cool. It's fine. But after a certain point, it, it becomes something of a burden to know that it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I know what you were going for, but I have to take a look at how it was done. And Mm -hmm. I I know I'm not trying to drag us down a rabbit hole or anything like that. I know we're talking about editing later and all of those sorts of things, but it's not even an editing thing. It gets back to that that page one rewrite where that scene Mm -hmm. could have been 
an amazing sort of, and I, you know what? I'll take another um, another property where doesn't really work for everybody sort of thing. There's some some stumbling blocks. The Dark Knight Rises. Despite any flaws that that movie has, when Bruce Wayne finally climbs out of that prison, that is put together like even detractors of that movie are like, yeah, that's an incredible moment. Everybody's up and ready to cheer. And I just don't get that energy from there. And it's like, so Matt, while I agree with you, yes, this is in principle what the show is showing. It just it becomes frustrating because it just doesn't connect emotionally the way that it needs to in that moment. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I, I'm not going to argue really hard with you because I know I, I think, I think you're <laughs> right. And I already said it, you know, it's not like we're having, I mean, I already admitted that I don't think the execution is what it needs to be for that scene. Um, but I, th- just thinking thematically for the character Kenobi, it is what needs to be there. It just needs to be done better. And I think part of that, it we can get into more details later for editing, but that scene just needs to be longer. It needs to be a kind of a more drawn out experience for Obi-Wan of like, because it's, it's like 20 seconds, but it needs to be, it just needs to be something almost like vision-like for him. And it's you- just not. Yeah, so. I, I stumbled on it while talking with uh, with somebody else. Can I? How throw... dare you talk to other people, John? I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Can I throw? <laughs> can I throw an idea out to you that yeah. if I had been privileged to sit in that writers' room, I'd have been like, "Well, what if we do this instead?" You want to know how I think you could have made that scene incredible, like that that emotional, mind blowing moment. Have that be the moment where he first hears Qui Gon say something like, mm-hmm. "What are you fighting for?" Why are yeah, you here good. sort of thing? Yeah. And all of a sudden the connection comes and then he has the flashes of the kids and it's his old master reaching out to him in his moment of need, like Luke dying on on Hoth when Obi-Wan mm-hmm. shows up and is like, listen, I know you're about to punch out, but hang in there, bro. You can do this. Have Qui-Gon show up at that scene, even sure. just as a voice. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Obi-Wan's like, oh, my God, yes, that's exactly what I'm here for. You know, like, and it's it's just I I know I'm harping on it, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't no, mean to. No, it's fine. But don't be sorry. No, I don't think you need to be sorry at all. No, I I know, but I mean, it's like I, I I'm sure that there are plenty of people that are rolling their eyes where it's like, oh, well, you didn't write the show, and it's like I, I know I didn't, but it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just that thing, well, you know? Right, right. Well, and I want to. I just wanted not that I need to defend you. You've been on the show plenty of times, and people know where you're coming from. But I think what you're saying is, is look, I get what where we're going for here and i'm not being destructively critical i'm being constructively critical and saying this is how i see it i see what you're going for and this is where i feel like okay we've got that let's make it better it and and i i think that's one of the things that we strive for just here in the 602 club all the time is we're not here to just trash things and oh that was stupid you didn't say any of that what you said is no that was all good I just see how, you know, we could have one-upped it, you know, and, and that's, that's, I, and this is really difficult for me. Everybody knows how much I love Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's literally my favorite character in Star Wars. And, you know, the portrayal of um, him by Ewan McGregor is my favorite. That's my favorite Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
So I wanted this show to be everything I could ever want possible in the sh- in a show. Like literally, I, that's what I wanted. It's it's not. And I'm not I'm not going to lie to the the audience of the 602 club and pretend like it is. So mm-hmm. I I appreciate you John for bringing up those issues because I have many of those same issues myself. So I I mean, you know. Yeah. And so do um, I. <laughs> okay. One thing that I I, I so our friend Yancey, John, brought this to um, my mind because we were talking back and forth about the fight that Kenobi and Vader have. And and the way it ends. And I wanted, uh, before I even get to kind of where he landed, which I think really helped me kind of like, oh, I, I think you're absolutely right there. That, that that makes complete sense. How did it work for you guys to have that fight go the way that it does? Where Obi Wan, I mean, he puts it to Anakin. He comes back and he kicks his butt. He kicks his Darth Vader butt all over that planet, and there is no mistake who is the master by the end of it. How do you feel about that? I thought that it was good that they started off not going that way. Um, that initially it comes across like possibly Obi-Wan could be beaten because he's just so mentally beaten already. And he does have to have that moment of realization, like you were talking about, Matt, to um, rise above it and to actually fight back harder. Um, But I like that they have such a back and forth for a minute and that you're not quite sure this time how it's going to turn out initially. Um, And and then he turns it around. Um, And I I think obviously this is what we were all waiting for with this show, not only to see Obi-Wan back, but to see the two of them rematch again. You know, it's been since Mustafar that they've been together in person and that Anakin has had this opportunity to get him back basically and so i i really love that the the lines that they have between each other and then especially that moment where he sees part of anakin's face and really learns that the old anakin is no longer in there and like you said matt is now just calling him darth it's like a twofold punch in the face because he's saying my friend isn't in there anymore you've killed him and I'm not even going to use your full new name because I don't have any respect for you anyway. So, it, yeah, it, I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought it could have been a little bit better, but still good. I uh, I have a few more criticisms of it. I won't go into too much detail because mm-hmm. I feel like I've I, I feel like I'm coming across too negative, I guess. I don't know. But no, it's okay. there's well, the thing is, right, like th- this is the thing. That we we all you know disclaim where it's like listen we didn't write the show so it's like obviously you know at a certain point it just becomes wish list stuff and mm-hmm. so on my wish list would have been the best way for that fight to end would have been for Vader to think he won because one of the most beautiful things and I'll I'll call back to the other Star franchise really quick one of the most beautiful things about the end of Star Trek two for me spoilers for a forty year old film is that Khan loses but he thinks he wins Khan dies thinking he won and I think it's just a much more dramatically interesting resolution to this whole thing 
if Vader is able to walk away thinking, I got him. And then Obi-Wan gets out from underneath the rocks and Obi-Wan goes off. And I, I could even see a scene where, you know, the it's picked up on the, the sensor scope that a ship is leaving the planet, you know, when Vader's back on the Star Destroyer and the Grand Inquisitor sees it and Vader, you know, has an exchange. It's like, what is it? It's like, oh, uh, nothing, nothing. We heard reports of another rebel base on this planet over here. We should go like the, the Inquisitor is like, uh, I got to let this you, sleeping dogs lie from here on out. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that Vader's going to keep dragging them on this mission. And so like it's even the, the Grand Inquisitor like gives him something more to do to sort of like keep it quiet. Um, but all, all of that little stuff aside, I just do wish the real element that I wish had been in there. And I've, I've talked about this before many, many times. I was thrilled that they faced each other, but what I wanted was Obi-Wan to, to truly try to convert him one last time. And they have mm. some good dialogue for that. I, I think that one of the most fantastic lines of dialogue in the entire thing is you didn't kill Anakin. I did. And like Vader owning it in that moment and being like, I want this screw you. And it's like, that's really awesome. But I would have preferred Obi-Wan trying to Luke it up a little bit and be like, I'm not going to fight you. Right. And have Mm -hmm. him, you know, disappearing and jumping around and then, you know, bit of a stalemate, whatever have you, just to have a little bit more of that echo to give even more weight to Obi-Wan just completely giving up on him. Mm -hmm. I also dislike two things in specific, and I know I'm rambling, but there are two things in specific. One, that on Mustafar, Obi-Wan left Anakin because he was like, I cut off all of his limbs and I just watched him burn and his screams are dying off. I'm going to leave. I believe he's dead. With this, he beats Vader and walks off. And all I can think in my head is, how can he not feel responsible for everything Vader does for eight to nine years after that? Because he could have walked over and just ended it right there. And if Anakin's gone, hey, no loss, right? There's no reason to leave him alive. So I I think it, it sort of put them in a corner that they didn't quite get out of. But then too, I don't know. And um, sorry, Matt, I just like I I also went back and forth with myself on this um, on whether Obi-Wan would have been capable of doing that anyway, whether that is the Jedi in him that's like it's merciful to not end it. But then, you know, I mean, he sliced Maul in half, so <laughs> After he's a willing to point. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and so I'll. So this is where um, our conversation that I had with Yancey really helped and um, that, you know, we had the flashback where Kenobi says a Jedi's goal is to defend life, not take it. And in the flashback, Anakin says, mercy doesn't defeat an enemy master. And I do believe that, as Yancey said, in Lucasian fashion, it does, in fact, defeat an enemy because Kenobi giving Anakin mercy at this moment when he, and that's not just mercy, it's grace. Anakin does not deserve to live. And yet I believe this plants the seed that will bear fruit in return of the Jedi. 
I, I don't. Believe that, mm, I mm-mm. and I don't. I don't care if you disagree because I think you're absolutely wrong here. I think this is the seed that like Anakin is never going to be able to get over. Why? Because Vader here. There is still something that is driving him to defeat Kenobi because he has a connection. He has to one-up him, and he can't, and he will never be able to. And that is the thing that, I th- again, I think, I think this is the seed. I think this is the seed. And it, it won't bear fruition until the very end, but what... The choice that Kenobi makes here is the one that also leads not only to Anakin's redemption, but um, it leads to the fact that, um, you know, Luke doesn't have to kill his father, that he can redeem him in the end, and that they can put an end to this. And yeah, it takes longer, and but I think I like the way it works. I think it it works. Um, and not only do I think it works, but I also think that it shows that in the end, mercy has impacts and consequences that, you know, yeah, and, you don't but expect. The, but, so. but the thing is, I think that's working overtime to forgive the corner that they're in. I don't, because, I don't think so. No, because I, of I the fact you're, you're, no, you, you're talking in a practical sense about literally leaving. I'm not Anakin anymore. I'm Darth Vader. I'm a murderous psychopath with galactic power and ambition, and I'm going to kill tons and tons of people. Yeah, well, says you. That in and of itself is a bit of a problem. And I would say that possibly what you're doing is you're taking a little bit of Luke's achievement and because maybe being a Kenobi fan, you're like, oh, wait, I want to give some of that to Kenobi. It doesn't work particularly well. It is, in fact, just a corner they're in. And if, and if you want to work at it from that aspect, right, and say you want Kenobi to show him mercy, there are other ways that mercy can be shown. There are other ways that he can try to convert him and those sorts of things, but at the end of the day, it's it's just another person because this happens with with Riva in the fifth episode where they have somebody dead to rights and they just go eh, and they walk off. And it's like, I, you know, just from a certain um, practical structural standpoint, again, I get what you're saying, but I don't think that it works particularly well. And then I represent the third perspective. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Completely different from both of your opinions on it, um, which I think is interesting. But I feel like it was intentional because, honestly, the way that he's Darth Vader is bent over here, it reminds me of the scene where Palpatine tries to get Anakin to kill Dooku and he's successful. And in this situation, as well as when, you know, he's burning alive on Mustafar, Kenobi says, I, you've done enough to yourself um, more than I could do. And I'm not going to be the person that does the final blow. And so I think that's why both times he leaves and lets Anakin punish himself, basically. I, again, I, I think both of these are interesting reads. I, I, I yeah. do. And, it, and it's like, and if it's that, if that works, cool. I, I'm yeah. just, I'm telling you why it doesn't work for me. Sure. And yeah. I want to ask the two of you, though, going off of that, for new fans 
or, you know, people who didn't watch Clone Wars or Rebels, uh, seeing Vader's helmet split like that must have been really cool. I felt it was a little bit too familiar because I've seen that already. Um, granted, it was on the other side of his helmet that time, I think, um, which is fine. But do you think that being a longtime fan works against you in that moment? Because my first thought when I saw that wasn't, oh, that looks cool. It was, oh, I saw that in Rebels. Yeah, that looks neat live. Mm-hmm. That's just my um, take. Yeah, I get that take. Uh, and I initially wasn't um, overwhelmingly excited by it either. Um, but I, I guess I justified it because, you know, when you're fighting someone who is completely covered... And you mm-hmm. can't actually look them in the eye. Sure. It's different. And so I felt like that was the reason that Kenobi especially wanted to do that specifically without hurting him, but actually, you know, get to look him directly in the eye and say, are you still in there? Um, that's why I thought it was cool. Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks cool. Definitely mm-hmm. looked cool. And I, I, like everybody else, loved when the light switched from blue to red. I thought that was really, you know, mm-hmm. nicely done. Sure. See, I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and I saw somebody that I follow on Twitter, I mean, loudly complaining about it in, like, all caps kind of thing. Um, and I just, I don't see it that way. I, I think that it makes sense for the two people, other than Padme, who, you know, she's she's gone now, but for Kenobi and Ahsoka to have experienced this with Anakin it makes sense. Um, and this, I think, is, it's not quite the same as what happens with, with Ahsoka, because this isn't about the relationship in the sense that Ahsoka doesn't feel responsible for Anakin turning out the way he did. Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan does. And this is the thing, I think, that gives him the closure, basically, that he needs to be able to let go of what he perceived as being all of the mistakes he made. I think he still holds those mistakes in his in his in his mind and that's one of the reasons that a lot of the things that he talks about with Luke now make even more sense. Um because he does believe Vader is completely gone. He does believe that Vader is a lost cause. Why? Because Anakin said so literally yeah. to his face. I, but um, see, that that's the thing so, is I'm not disagreeing with you about that. No, no, I'm no. I'm just saying I, that the I, way that it's done is... I know. Yeah. I'm just... I, I, and I, I get what you're saying, but I just... To me, like, it seems like a nice rhyme with what we've already done. Um, and I don't... I mean, plenty of things in Star Wars repeat on purpose. And to me, mm-hmm. this, this repetition did not bother me. Mainly because, too, it's a part... It is a part of this story that we're telling for Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it does help him in his arc then for where he's going to move forward. And it's very important because I think it's the thing that um, helps him finally let go of the past, which allows him to, f- one of the things, to finally see, let's talk about it, Qui-Gon at the end. Like, we get the reward mm-hmm. of what we've all kind of been waiting for this whole series where he keeps trying to talk to Qui-Gon not getting any feedback and finally at the end did that did that work for you guys were you happy to see you know Lim Neeson back I know John you probably hate it I know you don't even like Qui-Gon so you know 
Well, I'm the show's curmudgeon this week. So, this is true. You know, this hey. is true. You have <laughs> um, so far. So. <laughs> no, I, the, um, no, I mean, you know, I'm thrilled to see Qui-Gon. I, I, uh, I know that there is one complaint that filtered over to me from another longtime fan who asked the question, said, wait a minute, doesn't that, you know, the quote-unquote lost season of Clone Wars establish that Qui-Gon can't appear physically, he can only manifest his voice, et cetera, et cetera, and... I sidestep that one as I'm like, eh, you know, it depends on the person's connection to, and it's been 10 years and, you know, he keeps work, blah, blah, blah. You can, you can explain your way out of that corner. Um, I think mm -hmm. uh, less messily than the fight with Vader. And so I was thrilled to see Qui-Gon back. Uh, you know, it was great. And I, I love the fact that he has sort of like a, a Marley's ghost quality about him where he says, oh, I've been sitting next to you this whole time. You just couldn't see me. And the thing is that, I think is a, a very Lucas type of line to drop the hint that like it wasn't Qui-Gon's inability to manifest physically. It's the other person's ability to see. So like it gets that whole idea of that Carlos Castaneda stuff that Lucas likes to have in there about it's your ability to see the spirit world that we're talking about, not the spirit world's ability to communicate to you, that it's up to you to figure out mm -hmm. how to make that connection. Right. Regardless of whether Carlos Castaneda was a charlatan or not, he still had some interesting books. But anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're 100% right with that, John, because it it was very clear that Obi-Wan had to go through a change before he was ready to be able to really devote his life back to being a Jedi full time. Um, and so it wasn't until he had completed the journey that he needed to that he would be able to see him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and it was awesome to see Liam Neeson. Yes. I, you know what? There's so much baggage with Liam Neeson attached with Star Wars that it's like, hey, all right. Everybody's happy again. Everybody's getting mm -hmm. together. Cool. You know, I was happy to see it for that reason. Well, I mean, I love uh, he came out and said, you know, one of the reasons he did it is to pay homage to you know, George Lucas and how much he appreciates George. So I was like, yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just, I love everything you guys said. You know, I think um, absolutely it really does come down to that idea of what you can see. It, it also helps explain that even Yoda in that arc wasn't quite ready, right? He's still on his journey, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I thought that was, that's actually beautiful um, because it informs that storyline in a really interesting and positive way, you know? Um, and so... Something you, if you're going to add things, you, you know, John, you've had issues with the way this has impacted other things in the saga. This one, I think, is a really positive uh, introduction. Um, and I mean, who, how could you be upset with seeing Lem Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn back, um, you know, and. And that I, beautiful I think, hair. Yeah. Hey. What it does, though, <laughs> is that Purple. at the beginning, the very first episode. He tells that young Jedi, the time of the Jedi's over. Basically bury it and walk away. And here, he is a Jedi again. He is wearing the Jedi robes. He's wearing the robes that you see on the Mythos statue or um, in that comic. Uh, he is a Jedi again. He, is, he has reclaimed the mantle. In fact, one might say this is the return of the Jedi. Uh, and so I appreciate that that introduction is the proof that 
Kenobi is back being who he is. He's no longer Ben. He will go by that name still. But internally, who he is again is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I think it's even the reason why this show is not just called Kenobi. It's called Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because it's about him making that transition. And Qui-Gon being back is the final... um, the final linchpin for him to make that transition. Um, so where we started and, w- and where we ended, you know, how it started and how it's going, you know, like <laughs> to do on Twitter, you know, it starts with Ben being in a meat processing plant, nowhere near being Jedi material anymore. And at the end, he clearly is. I mean, he's even wearing his lightsaber again, you know, which is um dangerous thing to do even on Tatooine. Right. So, um, Okay. I don't know if we want to talk too much about all the Inquisitors. Um, I don't think quickly, we need to talk about all of them in depth. Yeah, we don't. Right. Yeah. Uh, quickly, though, um, just to get it out of the way, with the Grand Inquisitor, did you like the way they made it all make sense? Did it work for you? Was it okay? Did you feel like it? Ah, oh, they kind of, it was too much. What did you end up thinking of that? Because, of course, all of us that have watched the show were like, um, what do you do now? I wouldn't have had him involved in it. I would have had him be a hologram and maybe be the one to go wake up Vader and be like, you know, tap on the glass and be like, uh, my Lord, tap, tap, tap. Well, we got a thing going on here. You know, Reva kidnapped, uh, Senator Organa's daughter. We, we kind of got to clean this mess up. You know, like I, I would have had him removed from the action probably. Um, just because the, at, you know, as a longtime fan, I know he's not going to die. And, you know, we all started speculating immediately. It's like, oh, is he going to get cloned? Is it some sort of like, oh, he's in hell, blah, 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 you know, that sort of thing. But I think it was, uh, even for people who haven't watched, uh, again, Clone Wars and Rebels, they came to me and they were like, oh, he didn't seem that tough. And it's like, oh, so it diminished him. You know, I don't like that it diminished the character. So much. I I know that they had him there so that they could have the conference of Grand Inquisitor on Riva, but even that was not necessary um, because it was so brief. It's like you're Grand Inquisitor, okay? Yeah, just kidding. Like it didn't really. I I don't know. I I would have I would have had him involved differently in the show. That that's just my take on it. I was really confused when I first saw him because the look that they went with doesn't match up with the artist's version of the Grand Inquisitor being this like tall gangly thing. <laughs> um so I was going wait, he's who? I okay. Yeah. I guess yeah. I'll accept that that's the same guy. But yeah, um it was okay, but yeah, I, I agree with you John. I, I don't think it was necessary to have him. Um and uh and like I said, I wish that the look had been closer to what I expected to see if you're going to have that character come back. Sure. I, I guess I feel differently than you guys. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of ways you could have worked your way out of this. Again, I think it would kind of have been interesting if they had actually, you had found out that they're all clones, basically, except for Reva, um, because they're part of the Emperor's like cloning thing. Like, I think that might have been interesting. But again, that really connects to things in the future more so than I think they wanted to, um, which, you, you know, 
that that was one of the mandates is that that's not what they were really going for in this show. They're not trying to connect to everything that comes in the future. This is about the past. Um, but what I actually really enjoyed um, is that by the end of the show, what we see happen with Vader and the Inquisitor playing Riva this whole time is a representation of just the Sith in general, how everybody is a pawn of somebody else and, and, and nobody cares about you. Like, um, and I, I thought that that actually worked like the, the revelation that, yeah, in the end, we, we don't care about you. We don't, we, and we've been using the youth actually this whole time for our own benefit. And that, that really speaks to, I think, the way that the Sith work. Um, I, I, I think yeah. you're probably about to hit this, John, so I'll just go ahead and say it. It's another place where it could have been better executed. And, um, but when I came to the, when they came to the end, you know, and, and he steps out of the shadows and everything like that, I was like, okay, that makes much more sense, though, that this whole thing is about using her to basically draw out Kenobi because she has this, you know, the, 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 the thing about it is, is that the storyline is just a, it's, it's messier than it needs to be. And I think, as we've talked about many times already, if you had done just a, it's almost like if you given the script for the whole series a polish, this is one of the storylines that you just want to make more uh, important or just done differently. You want so. to make uh, Reva's arc even more interesting because we know which group of children uh, she was a part mm-hmm. of in, in the grand hallways. It's, you know, you know, uh, uh, Obi-Wan and Yoda discover this group of children in the, the main hallway you know, the grand hallway, whatever you want to call it in, in the temple in episode three. And they're like, Oh, who, who could have done this? Right. And it cuts to Anakin. Maybe just maybe what we could have had is we could have had Riva who I think, even though it was maybe clumsily uh, communicated, I guess she did get stabbed by Vader when she was a kid. Um, I'm not entirely clear visually whether she was uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, but have her sort of like regain consciousness as Obi-Wan and Yoda are leaving. And she's like trying to reach out as a kid, like, you know, help, help. And they can't hear her. She, she doesn't have the strength to do it. And she blacks back out like that makes Riva even more interesting. And that explains why she's really it's she's not on about Kenobi just because she knows that's the way to get to Vader. She's on about Kenobi because that guy left her for dead. And so then you get that mm-hmm. whole layer thing of like Obi-Wan yeah. has a habit of leaving people for dead. they did. Yeah. Right. But, in but, a way that a child, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, uh, you know, um, it would have even made uh, the Grand Inquisitor and Vader being there together, like have even more of an interesting echo mm-hmm. uh, with everything. Yeah. And it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, like Grand Inquisitor himself, I just think wasn't, I think the other Inquisitors weren't utilized particularly well. They were there. But it was like they were just there. I mean, like I would have preferred to have a scene where somebody gives them orders where they're like, no, we can take care of this. It's like, no, you're going to go take care of this. You're out so that we see them. We encounter them briefly. And then we see where they are in the pecking order is somebody specifically pointing at them and saying, get out. I didn't mm-hmm. ask for you, you know, I, and reinforce this whole thing that you're saying, Matt, about how everybody's a pawn. 
Yeah. Well, and Fifth Brother was so cool. I yeah. wish that I wish that they had done more with him than just kind of made him like the guy that keeps getting knocked down, you know. Yep. I completely agree. Yep. No, I I can't disagree with any of that and I, again I think this is where as we've just been talking about the series we're pointing out all of these places where it's like it's close mm-hmm. but it's not quite there and for the you know the story of Riva third sister you know I thought it was actually kind of an ingenious thing to have this character want to hunt Vader because of that I thought that was, I mean, and, you know, of course, showing us Order 66 and, and all of these younglings and everything and, you, and and actually what Anakin is doing there put even more to that than what we even saw in the film. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I thought her performance, too, grew in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I felt like, to me, the first few episodes, it, it felt a little too modern for me and, and, and the choice, uh, the choices that she was making performance wise, but I felt like things got better and better with each episode with her as well. Um, and you know, to get then to the end of kind of her redemption was interesting. And, and I said to some friends of mine, I thought that they might be going this direction with redemption for her. And, and then they did that. So, I have to ask you guys, does that work for you? And, I mean, she's one of four people or so now that knows that Luke is Luke. Um, mm-hmm. Does that work? No. I'll, I'll just come right out of the gate. No. I didn't like that she figured out that where Luke was. I don't... It It reminds me of the 1990s Batman movies where every single movie, everybody knew you introduced was like, oh, Bruce Wayne is Batman. Oh, Bruce... And so, like... Honestly, by the fourth movie, you're like, how does all of Gotham not know by this point? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's I don't like that that specific element got introduced. I don't like how it resolved itself. Um, Technically, I would have rather had the character left for dead and have me have the question of where does she go from here? Because the show was about Obi-Wan. And I like the introduction of this new character. And I would have rather had the question left out there because then I would have come to it and said, where did she go after that? Did she survive? I'm more invested in her future after that. And then seeing an actual arc, right? If, if they want to use the character later. And the one other thing that really would have, have, have improved her as a character in the second episode specifically is a helicopter lightsaber. I was very disappointed that she's jumping from rooftop to rooftop when she has a perfectly functional helicopter lightsaber that she can use to fly across the city. That's my final say on it. Well, John, they can't do that because no one liked it the first time. Oh, I'm sorry. No one liked it the first time, Christine. <laughs> I'm just know. messing with you. I did. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. It would have been so cool to see live action. Like, yeah. how many minds would have been blown in like where people would be like, oh, they could do that. I guarantee you yeah. the normal. Would we say mine's blown? No. Yes, mm-hmm. we would. I know for a fact that a lot of people would have loved it yeah. because it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm in the same camp as John on this. Um, it sucks that there are some things that just weren't executed as well as they should have been. 
for her character um, because she does has have such an interesting backstory because this is the first time that we've had one of the younglings perspective on what happened with order 66. Um, and I thought they did not explain well, like you already alluded to John, whether Anakin stabbed her with his lightsaber and she ended up surviving, but played dead or if she never got actually hit, but she played dead to survive it was very unclear. Um, and then every time that they tried to show her justification for her actions and having her say in the dialogue that she was doing it because of, you know, on behalf of all the younglings that were killed, it only ever shows her face as a child and not her connections to all of the others and the motivation that would have caused her to want to fight for them. Um, I just felt like I wanted more there and they just weren't giving me enough. And honestly, too, I felt like her her costume design was kind of out of place for, you know, at the time, 10 years after we've lost Padme, there still would have been all of these different humanoid people or aliens that would have crazy hairstyles and... Mm. Um, robes and things like that. And yes, she's, you know, part of the empire now, but it was just a little bit too plain for me. I felt like they could have done something more interesting with her hair or, you know, like seventh sister had the cool helmet or something um, other than just like the bodysuit and cape. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted a lot more from Riva than we got is the problem. Um, and I, I felt like initially in, the first episode or two, she her performance was a little dry. I don't necessarily have a problem with her knowing who Luke is. And I mean, I get what you're saying, John, but I mean, this isn't Batman in the sense where everybody does know. Well, you know, but how so, is the thing, too? What do you mean? How did she know who Luke is? I mean, obviously, she... It's obvious how she could tell where he was, but why does she care? Was not explained, but I, I remember. I, I think I, I, Bale says something about, you know, the children and stuff like that, and she gets a snippet of that. But to your point, Christy, along it's just like the moment where it's like we're all questioning, wait, was she stabbed when she was a kid? Was she just hiding? Like, how? what were the mechanics of that? I think that they leave a little breadcrumb, but they never they never point in the right direction for it. So I can sort of sit there and like and say, okay, she's figuring if Obi-Wan cares about this girl and there's another kid on Tatooine, this must be connected to Vader. But it's a it's a little bit of a leap. I would have rather had her go back mm -hmm. and going after Kenobi to to wrap that up, and he's gone to talk to Luke. Or, you know, or the Lars and she shows up and she says, oh, there's another child. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? You know, like and have like a scene like that, I think would have drawn it out better. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know. I guess I don't really. I'm struggling to figure out what the problem is here, because it seemed pretty obvious to me, like how she figures it out and why she goes there, that she is going there. To her Anakin. But she doesn't know that he's Anakin's child. Yeah, she does. How though? I, I from the message. She pieces it together. Yes, she pieces it together 
but it's not specific. Like it, it is, it is something where again, much like some of the other structural things we've talked about, they're asking the audience to do some extra lifting. So mm-hmm. yes, when I saw her see that message, I said, "Oh, okay, she's pieced together who Luke is. She's going to go after Montadawin, blah blah." But I think that Chrissy raises a very fair point to say that the show, you know, you love to throw the phrase out, Matt. You know, show don't tell, and it's like if there is if there is a part of the audience that's saying that's not entirely clear to me, then that that speaks to you know they didn't communicate it quite well enough. So I, you know, I, I think it's a. I I think it's a fair criticism. I have a specific problem with more people knowing about Luke at all. That's where I have my issue is I don't like more people knowing because I want this to remain such a guarded secret that that it is it right. is yeah. so uncommon to know or piece together because Vader and Palpatine would have had their suspicions to begin with. And the more people that know, the more risk there is of that information sure. getting out there and sure. writing yourself into more of a corner. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I get that, too. I mean, again, I'm not here to, like, completely defend the choices that they're making. Um, I don't really necessarily have a, a huge issue with it. But. Part of that is that I really think the decision is actually more predicated on the fact that they're hoping to do something else with the character and possibly they are opening basically the door for Kenobi season two. Um, And to me, I think that's where the choice I would much rather her have sacrificed herself to save Luke from something, even her own mistake, right? Mm -hmm. And die in that process than... Uh, because I think that makes it stronger, um, so that, yeah, because again, in some ways, like she's forgiving Anakin and letting that go and saving a child and, and basically doing the very thing that she doesn't want to do. Like she almost causes herself to become what she hates. And yet then she ends up dying instead to be, to keep herself from doing that you know like i think that works better and then you don't have this this problem i really just though think this is actually one of the places where it's it's more predicated on the fact that they're leaving the door open for kenobi season two and her as a character and and that's actually where i'm more bothered by it story-wise because i don't feel like it's the best choice for the story i completely agree with you leave everything on the table don't think like you're going to get a second season. Don't think like you're yep. going to get another movie. Everything's on the table. You throw everything in. That's one of the reasons, and I know people complained about it, but that's one of the reasons that I loved Solo, is they didn't say, oh, well, we're going to make three movies, so we'll leave some stuff out. They said, no, you know what? We get one movie. What are we going to do with this? Put everything in. Put everything in, and we'll worry about it later. Yeah, I think that's, to your point, Matt, I think that is exactly right. I think you put your finger on it right there where they were thinking more in terms of what can we set up for next season, as opposed to giving us such an incredible experience that at the end we said, find a way to make season two. Find a way to make season two, or we're going to storm Disney Plus's gates, and we're going to burn that to the ground. You know, like, that's what I want. I I, I agree with you. 
And I think a lot of properties now make that mistake. And I think we've talked about yep. that on this show before. It's like, it's got to be able to stand alone. And yep. I'll just bring up, you know, and I've brought this up many a times. That's the thing that made those newer Planet of the Apes films so good. They were only making one film at a time. If they got asked to make more, they went back and figured out how to do it. But mm-hmm. they weren't leaving anything on the table. They were just, we just make the best film we can make at this moment. And if that, somebody calls us back to make another one, we'll figure that out then. But that that's not what we're doing here. Yeah. I, I will go out on a limb and say that the both of you talked about something where uh, that is a series that's very strong and everybody loves that keeps finding a way to come back. And that's Stranger Things. Where yeah. first season, I was like, wow, that was incredible. That's done. And then they were like, Stranger Things too, And I was like, wait, really? How are you going to do that? And then, oh, wow, that's how you did that. That's so cool. And season three wasn't great, but, you know, Murray got a lot of screen time, so that's good. And then, <laughs> but then with season four, now they're back again. And I'm like, oh, yep. this is a totally yep. different new thing that you did. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. have seen, I wouldn't have seen this breadcrumb yep. in season three yep. at all. It has nothing to yep. do with that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. No, 100%, yeah. man. I It's... Um, I, who, I'm not, I'm, I'm speechless <laughs> because I don't know how to talk about how great Leia was in this show. I thought that the performance was fantastic. She's so cute. Um, and she kind of feels like that you would expect young Leia to feel like, which is slightly bossy, kind of annoying sometimes because you know what 10 year old isn't. Um, having worked with a lot of 10 year olds, uh, yep, they, they can definitely be like that. Um, but I loved her in the show and they, they had with her, they had created the thread that they needed for Kenobi to have that moment that we talked about because her performance and her connection with him was so good. Um, and I mean, I can't say enough good things about her. I think she was just a bright spot in the show. Yeah, I absolutely loved her. I think that you definitely had a challenge set up bringing Leia into this because you have to make sure it still represents who we know to be Leia later on. Um, And then also that connective tissue again to A New Hope of Leia and Obi-Wan's interactions in the future. Um and I think that Vivian Lyra Blair does such a great job at portraying Leia's intelligence and confidence for being so young and that you're going, oh, yeah, that's absolutely what Leia would do, you know, or uh, how she's standing there at the end in her royal garb with a holster on. <laughs> she's ready to go always. Um, and And no one can tell her no. I thought she did such a great job of playing this character. But then also the vulnerability um, and playing off of Ewan so well. Um, yeah, she was great. I, the only thing that I would have changed a little bit is I was kind of concerned at this point since they've gotten so close um, about then when we see her reaching out to Obi-Wan in A New Hope that it's almost like she doesn't really know him. And now I'm going, well, they've spent all this time together now. Now, now this is the one that I've defended to people who have criticized, you know, critiqued that specifically. First and foremost, mm-hmm. I'll say, uh, you know, I have daughters. I've been through ten twice. I'm coming up on ten in a in a again soon enough. Leia is a little bit young. 
they cast her a little bit young. That's okay. Um, because I, th- I thought she was great overall, but she's not quite 10. Like, they, they, it, it, it's, it's hard to explain. There's like an intangible. She there. looks too young for being 10 is what you're saying. She carries herself a little too young. Yeah. And, okay. uh, and so it's like, okay. I mean, eight, eight seems really close to 10, but trust me, it's, it's a little bit, but, but the, it's a minor quibble. And it's like me bringing my real world thing is like, not every 10 year old is the same. So it's like, okay, this 10 year old works though. Okay. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's cool. Um, in terms of her message to Obi-Wan in, in the original Star Wars, um, I had a neighbor actually harping on that saying, oh, she's saying General Kenobi like she doesn't. I'm like, no, no, it's it's calling the old war hero back. General Kenobi, you served my father in the Clone Wars, right? She's specifically addressing the general. She's letting him know the time to come back for wartime. This isn't a personal request. We need mm-hmm. General Kenobi this time. And then in terms of her familiarity, later on when Luke breaks her out, he says, I'm here with Ben Kenobi. And she says, Ben Kenobi, where is he? And so she's a lot less formal in that scene. She doesn't say General Kenobi or Obi-Wan. She says Ben Kenobi. So she does later on show that she has a bit more uh, familiarity with him. Mm-hmm. So that that would be my answer. Is I, I like That's the one thing. That's the one quibble that I wind up defending is I'm mm-hmm. like, no, it kind of works for me. So. Well, and I also love, too, that, like, her message sounds the way that it does because it doesn't reveal to anyone that they know each other or have history for any reason. Yeah, I heard purpose, that today you know, from someone, yeah, and I was like, yeah. okay. Uh, and and part of that would be because what does Obi-Wan tell her? He says, you know, nobody can know that we know each other. It could be detrimental to you and to I. Yeah. Um, and, two, because of the ramifications then right for Luke. Uh, that there's a lot going on there. And so, but then John, you, I mean, we just watched star Wars, my wife and I, and that line jumped out to me in the detention center because it's like, she's so excited that Ben Kenobi's here. Ben Kenobi is her friend. She loves Ben, you know, like she, and she can't wait to see him. So, um, I mean, if you want to quibble with anything, the only frustrating thing is, is that she's not more broken up about his death. Because she would be. Um, of course, she also lost her old planet. So it's like she's got a lot of emotions she yeah. never gets to deal with. So. Mom and dad just blew up. Exactly. Home doesn't exactly. exist anymore. Exactly. Yeah, she's she's compartmentalizing. <laughs> she's figuring yes. it out. Um, what are uh, we had some new friends show up in the show with Haja and Tala and um, Roken. Uh, what did you guys think of some of the new characters we introduced uh, to the series here? Some new friends for Kenobi. I like the characters, but I think that they're uh, they some of their moments were uh, a little bit too. Uh, God, I I have trouble putting it into words, but like um, Tala, she wasn't done any any favors by the structure of the show. I thought it was a fine performance. I thought it was an interesting character. Um, and really, I think she gets short shrift from the fourth episode because there are so many structural things that aren't the character's fault, but I associate them with the character, um, Mm -hmm. which isn't fair to her, but 
hey, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I I thought it was nice that they gave her a heroic death, but I didn't quite get the the emotional impact that I would have liked, basically. Um, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, th- I, I loved Roken. I want to see him show up in the Andor show. Like, that's yes. how much I enjoyed yes. him. I want mm-hmm. him there. Um, and, you know, Haja, you know, cute scene. I would have possibly preferred him just being in that one moment and then move on instead of bringing him back uh, again. But he didn't take anything away from the show. And I thought he was played well enough. So uh, of the three of them, you know, Roken was the big hit for me. I, I really liked him. Um, and I just think Tala, she needed more. The, the actual moments built around her needed a little bit more um, structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, that's where I'm with them. So um, I may feel differently about this than both of you, but the big point of contention between my husband and I about this show was whether or not Kamel Nanjani should have been in it. <laughs> and I love him as an actor, but I know him too much for comedy. And so it just felt wrong to me. Um, I thought the character was fine and I, you know, I get why they chose him for that role. Um, but it's like every time I was waiting for him to throw out the punchline and then it never came and I was like, oh, he's being serious now. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm a little bit worried with casting like this, that they're going to continue to look for big names and say, oh, we need to make them a part of this show when maybe they're not the best fit. Um, so that's that's how I felt about him as Haja. Um, but otherwise, I, I thought that Tala um, was good. I thought it was funny having another person from Game of Thrones, speaking of Pedro Pascal. Huh. <laughs> um, and she's not as recognizable, I think, as like Kamel is, um, at least for me. But I agree with John. You know, I, I think that you said it best that there were some things surrounding her with the writing not with her character or her performance, but just that didn't do her justice. Um, and I thought that her introduction was great. I mean, you absolutely don't expect that she's going to defect from the empire and help them um, or, you know, show them the path and everything, which then apparently, you know, ties in Quinlan Voss a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I like her and uh, I thought Roken was okay, but I'm, a little bit wondering if they could have written him a little better to seem like he's ready to be the leader that Obi-Wan is asking him to be. Well, I I think Roken also has the disadvantage of being in and here's where, okay, prepare the slings and arrows from, from some of being a part of the worst chase scene since the last Jedi, because that entire chase scene was, Oh no, we're in my old peril. And I just, it, I, I, it, it hurt me to look at this chase scene and it, I felt like Millhouse watching the Poochie episode of, of Itchy and Scratchy going, when are they going to get to the Cracker Factory? It just, I just wish that that whole thing had gone better because I think, Christy, you would have gotten that moment from him. If they yeah. had shored that up and and restructured it a bit before Obi-Wan flew away in a ship that seemed too big for holding that many people in there. Yeah. Um, 
So I'll comment on the other things, and then I'm going to destroy John's argument. Um, oh, okay. And um, <laughs> good to know. It, it's fine. It happens all the time on our shows, so you oh, should it does. be used to that now. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Never witnessed. This is it, how we are ahead. in real life. Like, go on, get together. We just—it's fun. Uh, I, you, Christy, I'm right there with you though. I was actually worried that the casting for Haja would hurt the show, and I actually thought he felt great in the episodes. Mainly because okay. he walked the line of humor and just the character well. Um, so I really liked him. Um, I thought uh, O'Shea Jackson as Roken was fantastic. I'm with John. If he doesn't show up in the Andor show, I think it's a travesty because why not carry that con- that st- that character's story onward with that? You know, no reason not to. Um, and Tala is my favorite of them personally and i was emotionally invested with her and her character and i thought she was wonderfully portrayed and i felt when she died um so uh i just yeah i i didn't have as much i don't have as much of the issues that that john did with that and i don't hold it yeah you don't don't hold it against me (laughs) Yeah, I just had a really great, I just really loved her as a character. And I'm actually yeah. sad on some ways that she's gone just because I really liked the character. Um, you know, the, the the whole idea, of course, of a, you know, ex-imperial um, who realized what the Empire was and then turned against it and all that stuff. I thought that was interesting. And I actually just, her chemistry with with Ewan was great. Mm-hmm. And um, I... It's and it's kind of just sad we'll never get to see more of that, you know. Um, but yeah, she gets the heroic death, and that's great. Um, they're not new friends, but having Bonnie and Joel back as Baru and Owen was phenomenal. Just really glad that they were there, even though they didn't have a ton to do. Like I, I just yeah. loved having them back. Um, just for the chase scene, to me, that whole chase is um, for Vader. It's personal. And he is clouded by this. And in fact, uh, in classic Anakin sense, like the same way we see him blinded to everything else but Clovis in the banking arc, which almost gets Padme and him killed Mm -hmm. uh, in that episode. He's just, that's Anakin. And it's not, it's a fault of his character. In fact, Obi-Wan's been trying to point this out to him the whole time. It's a fault of your character that he's so single-mindedly focused on these things. And so, in fact, the Emperor even points that out when he says, perhaps your feelings for your old master have left you weakened. If your past cannot be overcome, he's threatening Anakin. Like, if you can't let this go, I might not have any uses for you anymore. Um, it doesn't and to change me, that the chase scene... No, I think, I, I think that the chase scene just to me, works better in that. I will concede, though, it could have been edited much better. So, and made to work better. But, I still think it so, works okay, 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 for, let, let, me, let, let me throw the flag here. So, we're saying the same thing, you just feel you're saying it nicer I, than I am. I, I'm saying <laughs> that I think that I'm walking the line of saying I think that thematically it all works. I am going to agree with you, and I I just don't think it's the worst chase sequence since uh, The Last Jedi, um, because I think it works better than that, because at least it feels more thematically 
ingrained with the oh, rest of the series. I didn't say, I didn't say it was so. as bad as the chase scene from The Last Jedi. I said it's the worst since. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I get what you're saying. I just, I, I wouldn't even put it in the same category. That's just that maybe we're just quibbling about details now. So I, I think um, we are. I think we yeah, are. So, um, but I think though that, and you mentioned it at the beginning, John, having Vader back and bringing back Hayden, I think is one of the best ideas that they had for this show because his portrayal is phenomenal in the suit and you can mm-hmm. just tell it's Anakin. And I, th- and, and then on top of that, the voice work they did with um, James Earl Jones voice to make it sound like the Anakin, the Vader that we are used to from the original series, hands down the best thing they did in this show, honestly, like it's yep. so good, well, especially having just watched this, uh, episode four. It's like, it fits Perfectly, but but see that's the thing is is just to shore that up. He sounds like the Vader from Episode Four yes. because there is a vocal difference between the Vader it's in true. Empire yep. and Jedi from the yep. Vader in Episode Four. So mm-hmm. that attention to detail, I think, yep, um, is great and yep. unfortunately does put me in the camp of people that says, okay, special edition of Rogue One where they just they do that to his lines right there mm-hmm. because yep, I hundred percent agree. I think it it would work. Even yeah. better. Yep. Even better. Yep. So they should. They should special edition that. So. so speaking about my favorite character now, Vader has always been the character that I love the most in Star Wars and then Leia second. But I've always loved Vader because he has such presence and having him back. I absolutely agree with you both was the strongest thing that they did for this show, aside from obviously bringing back Ewan. Um, and I will throw in getting to see um, at Star Wars Celebration this year in person, Hayden and Ewan on the Star Wars live stage where we were only a few feet away from them and Hayden saying, this is where the fun begins. People freaked out. I mean, it was, oh, it was so good. And it was so good to see him feeling the love from all of that as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So having him back was amazing. I think that, having the flashbacks to him and showing what his motivations were again was so helpful. I'm sure, especially for the people that aren't as familiar with all of the other stuff in star Wars. Um, And then, you know, I think that the fights were cool and getting to um, then see him and Palpatine speaking. Um, And that was where, you know, when you mentioned Matt, the line, um, where Palpatine says, if your past cannot be overcome, I did have an issue with that just because Palpatine has said before, let your hate fuel you, you know, or or maybe a different version of the same words, but it was the Sith's attachment to um, vengeance and to things in their past that drove them to continue to go down the path to the dark side. Whereas the Jedi's whole thing was letting go. So I don't understand why he would have told Anakin that he needs to let it go. You get what I mean? I think it's because this obsession with Kenobi is clouding Anakin to what the Emperor wants. Okay. Right. Like. Oh. That's like a side quest. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's a side quest that he doesn't want him on because it's right. it's it's distracting him from the mission that the master has for him. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's okay. a control thing, you know, and Palpatine is to me asserting a control again and saying, "You either let this go or I might have to kill you." Um I think Christy has a fair point though. Because maybe it's just the the writing of the line, right? Of you need to stop chasing Kenobi, right? You need to stop being obsessed with that. We have other business to attend to. Let me worry about that. And that way we can set up the second season of Kenobi right there where it's like, I'll send the Inquisitors out. You send the Inquisitors after them. Let them worry about that. Mm-hmm. You worry about you. I, I think that basically, Chrissy, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're just saying that yeah. could have been cleaner. That could have been yeah. stated a little bit more cleanly and it would have alleviated some of that, that quibble, right? Yeah, the words they used are what I have an issue with. And I think he that's said fair. If you're, yeah, he said, if your past cannot be overcome, I'm like, well, but it, that kind of helps him. <laughs> right. The, the anger that he feeds on is what makes him Vader. Yeah. He's supposed to remain a, you know, uh, uh, like really pissed about everything. And that helps, you know, to, yeah. to, to dwell on things that you feel you've been wronged about. We all know people like that, where it's like that comes to define their character sort of stuff mm-hmm. and that's useful to the emperor but uh you know so i mean the thing is like i i just you no know, i think it's a fair point matt i know what you're saying i know that's what they were going for but it's just another one of those well, things where sandy i, guess I just disagree with you both because i don't i don't he's saying perhaps your old feelings for your master have less left you weakened and that this obsession with kenobi i think what he's saying is is if you can't overcome that, you're never going to be as strong as you could be. And I think it's also the thing that, to me, helps make sense as to why Vader just drops Kenobi. Like, he drops the subject and he never searches for him again because it's a sign of weakness to his master. And that's what I'm getting at. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what I think the Emperor saying, and that's why he's saying he wants him to overcome it. And Christy... I think you raise an interesting point, but again, I bring this back to that the emperor is saying, this is not about Sith theology. This is about what the emperor wants. So and I could see it from that perspective. Yeah. So, so I get that. To me, that's where I took it. So, but I, you know what I'm Yeah. So I think that's a good question though. I mean, I really, I mean, it is a good question because it does seem like Sith theology basically would be to fuel your hatred and, continue after whatever obsession you have regardless of the cost basically because that's what drives you i mean Mm -hmm. the thing is if anything uh you know to to christy's point it would have been nicer to hear and it would have i think buttoned it up to have palpatine say obviously you can't handle him so (laughs) let's send let's send other people after him because obviously your feelings for him leave you weak and you can't possibly ever beat him that right. would get under Anakin's yeah. Uh, yeah. what's left of Anakin's yeah. skin and would would piss him <laughs> off. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Prey on the well, ego. That's, yeah. yeah. It's a great point for just because of the sense that where it's we, we keep kind of saying the writing could be cleaner. Yeah. Um I do love, you know, personally, Kenobi teaches Anakin one more lesson. Um, and it's the lesson he's been trying to teach him over and over and over again. And Anakin doesn't he just doesn't get it, you know. So I had no problem with him getting schooled one more time. So, um, mm-hmm. okay. A couple of things we have to hit 
I know we're running really long, but obviously we've had a ton to talk about in this show, and I think we've had great back and forth. We have talked a lot about the editing and the look and the feel of this show, and so I did want to get into some of that. Um, and just quickly, I'll lay it out here for me. I think this show needed a better DP, um, better choices uh, in in filming in the sense that there's way too much shaky cam. Yep. Um, the fights, you just don't really get to see the intricacy of the work that they're putting into these fights. And the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan is so cool on that planet. And yet, unless you watch it a few times, you're missing a lot of stuff because of the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. And... I'm also disappointed that this show should have been premier television in the sense that it should feel Game of Thrones, you know, final season level when it comes to production. And this show doesn't feel like that. It should feel like uh, a Star Wars story level solo movie or um, Rogue One every week. But the, the level of effects is not there. And I 100% agree with you, John, that a lot of the issues that we got in the show could have actually just been fixed in the editing bay with somebody who I think has a little bit more Star Wars sense when it comes to Star Wars editing and Star Wars storytelling. Um, I think of the editors we got um, on the animated stories who Mm -hmm. are able to tell concise, clear Star Wars stories in 22 minutes. And I feel like, and part of that is just by them jerry-rigging scenes, you know, cutting here, moving here, you know, I think all that stuff is the stuff, and like you mentioned, George talking about, that's, that's, it's in Made in the Editing Bay. A lot of the issues that I have with the show, I think, with somebody who has a stronger Star Wars storytelling sense, could have made and ameliorated a lot of the things that we've discussed. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll add on to that is I I would never use the phrase a better DP, but when you have Greg Frazier, who is arguably one of the best directors of photography working out there today, usher in the era of the volume, uh, you know, with The Mandalorian, you've set a very high bar. And you, you should have like a crash course sort of situation where it's like, okay, hey, congratulations, you got hired. Let's show you everything that we learned and how we overcame that to help you make the most of what is happening here. And I just, you know, that's that's where I go with it. Is I, I it's I'd say it's incumbent upon the production staff to provide that type of support to the new people coming on board so that those of us who have been spoiled by them coming out of the gate so strong with this new technology, it's ju- it is absolutely no different than after the original trilogy was done, every other movie we went to that used blue screen, we were like, oh, well, that's, yeah, that's not as good as that, right? And it's like that they've set up their own thing where they have to be very conscious of that. We had the same sort of problem with the shooting in Book of Boba Fett. Where it was like, oh, that remember that chase scene through? You know what? That one was worse. Uh, uh, okay, that one, the 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 little 
the speeder bike chase with the mods in Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That one was the worst chase scene since The Last Jedi. So, okay. Okay. I'll amend my (laughs) earlier comment. Although the one in the woods with Leia and the three dudes is close. Because it's it, if you re-edited mm. that, it'd be fine. But again, it's just... Trim it down ugh. to 30 seconds and everybody's yep. happy. Exactly. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I will add, um, I also was a little surprised that they went with someone that's not as familiar. Um, like, I I do wish, like you said, John, that they had had Grieg um, or someone similar to doing the way that they did it like with Mandalorian because it was so beautifully done there. And I feel like really had that larger than life feel um, like you want to have like a, a Dune feel or something, you know, and, and you just didn't get that here. And the person that did do the cinematography on Kenobi, the two big things I saw that he's done otherwise were Zombieland double tap and uncharted, both of which have a very specific style but don't necessarily jive with how you would style a Star Wars show. So, yeah, I think that it definitely, you're right, Matt, there was too much shaky cam. um, And I think that affected people's enjoyment, especially of the Kenobi Vader fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also just had to, I mean, I'll mention one thing too, where like on Dayu, where they go and this place is supposed to be super seedy and, you know, it just felt so blasé. Like everybody in the background, actors. I don't. I don't know if it's a COVID thing that they were dealing with. Could have been, but it just didn't feel like the place that you go. That um, I, what it needed to feel like was in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, when. He goes to the replimat area and is eating, and there's just all of this crazy stuff happening behind him that's seedy and awful, and you can feel it behind the walls that this it's just crawling with, you know, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. And this place just felt like, eh, there's some people like gambling on the street, people just kind of milling about. Random person comes up and offers you some spice. You know, it just. It just didn't have so there were some places like that where too like the production just didn't feel as heightened as it should have been. So one last thing before we get to the ratings, I wanted to just ask you. Obviously, John Williams writes a theme for Kenobi, uh, and then Natalie Holt does the score. Um, what are your thoughts on that specifically? Since John, you mentioned the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett both put their stamp in the sense of the sound that they're going for. Um, created Star Wars sounds uh, in, in their own sound. You know, uh, here with Kenobi, you're obviously connecting much more with the films. What'd you think of the theme and, and how did the score work for you? Theme was fine. I thought that the score was not particularly memorable. And, you know, I mean, that's fine. That's okay. Not everything needs to be, you know, earth shattering, but I would have appreciated something Again, I and, and this is this is the trap. The Mandalorian came out of the gate so strong that it you go back to that and it's like I still listen to that soundtrack. And it's not just the theme, but I listen to the actual soundtrack and I don't really hear anything that's going to make me rush out for the Kenobi soundtrack and be like, "Yeah, I got to have this in my collection." I'll probably get around to it eventually, but it's like 
you know, it was fine. So I kind of felt like maybe out the gate, it's a little unfair to Natalie um, being put in the position of having to follow Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett as far as scores go. Um, And then also, I think you have so much more history here to where you can't necessarily go in a completely new direction sound wise for Kenobi um, because so much was established in the films already for him. Um, But I mean, I will say maybe also it was that she felt she had to keep things consistent. Um, And there were still some things that were specifically references back to John Williams. Um, So I don't know. I, I, I do. I can definitely tell that maybe she's playing it a little safe and that there is not a very recognizable personal stamp on Kenobi's score the way that there is for like Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. Um, So I guess that's my way of defending maybe why it's different, but I could see still how it could be better. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with um, both of you. I, I, I really like the theme that Williams created for Obi-Wan in the sense of creating it for the Obi-Wan that we got in this series because it's melancholy, mm-hmm. but it gives a sense of maybe hope of where the character is going to go. Um, I am a little, I'm definitely disappointed in the soundtrack by Holtz. Um, I think there were plenty of places for her to use Star Wars music beyond, say, like the Force theme or something that shouldn't be introduced until like those moments where Kenobi is starting to feel that back. And it's, it's like she felt restrained from ever really using a lot of that until like the final episode. It was really disappointing. I mean, not even to hear strains of like a battle of heroes in there. Um, Mm -hmm. Like that, that seems like a mistake to me. So, and it's also that she's following solo where John Powell f- found a way I felt like to integrate all of those themes of star Wars action music into what he was doing there and make it feel really natural. And a, a, a lot of the action music here just kind of felt like everyday action music. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, it, it's just another place where I just felt like, I wish there had been some refinement to the whole thing. So in the end, after two hours, I'm really interested. Where do we get for our ratings for Kenobi? So, John, you are our guest and our curmudgeon. Where are you? Three. Three out of five. Good, but not great. And will I rewatch it? Sure. But that's where I end with it right now. Three. Three what, though? What are you rating with? Oh, I don't know. Three broken Vader helmets. (laughs) I'm trying to give you a little hope. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, I, I'm similar, but I um, I give it a three and a half just because there were still some things that it um, regained points back for me for um, a big one being Hayden being back um, and then all the cuteness with Leia. But, um, oh, and... I forgot to mention Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers being the villain at one time. Um, yeah. 
that was funny. But yeah, I, I think that, like we've said, there were just some things that could have been tightened up editing wise um, or cinematography wise, and then dialogue that could have been tweaked to be so much better than what we got. And I think that also we had high expectations, which I mean, why wouldn't you at this point? We've been waiting for so long to get this story told. Um, so I I kind of hope there is a season two to maybe get some redemption a little bit from some of the things here that we were bothered by. Yeah, I will say that for me, obviously, I think everybody can tell that I am very mixed in the sense of like the complete execution of the story. But for myself, when I look at the why of the story being Kenobi moving from Shattered to Jedi again. I think that story is told pretty well. I think it's all the stuff around that that isn't quite as well told. And for that, I will say I would give this four out of five. Um, And I wanted this to be the perfect show. I probably more than anybody else I know just because of what this character means to me and and but yeah it's it's there's so many places where the execution on the show is just missing something you know and what I think it is is it's missing the fact that I would have rather them have spent two more years putting everything together uh script wise and then coming out with the perfect show than than this but this is, I, I just got to judge what we got and um, I like it and almost love it enough, even though I'm still frustrated. And so, yeah, in the end, I, I give this uh four out of five shaky cam lightsaber fights. So, um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, John, thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk about this. Um, and uh, you know, everybody it, it's, it's in the bylaws. You have to be here for the star Wars shows like this. Uh, but where can people find you if they want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on? Uh, just look for Kessel junkie out there. K E S S E L J U N K I E. And I'm on two shows over on the nerd party. One of them is called house lights where we look at the work of directors uh, divided up into uh, really some interesting sort of categories and, and approaches that we have. It's a lot of fun. And you can also find me on a Star Wars podcast called Aggressive Negotiations that is co-hosted by one Matthew Rushing, who you've heard for the last uh, two hours now. Yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> if they're lucky about that or anyway. Christy, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bespin Bell. And of course, when I am not here, I do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network talking about weird geeky things we don't usually get to talk about. But what about you, Matt? Well, you can find me all over social media under Matt Rushing 2 Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all of those kind of things. Uh, of course, uh, here on the network, you can find me doing literary treks, which is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then when I wasn't doing aggressive negotiations on the Nerd Party Network with John, you could find me on a completed show with Drea Kaufman called Owl Post, and we talked through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. 
But as always, thank you so much for joining us. And may the force be with you. Thank you.